Fantastic. Thank you so much, Lee. And uh, wonderful to see everyone joining in online. A special hello to my uncle, Wilf, who's commented. Wilf, fantastic to see you on there. Um, my name's Brogan. I'm one of the team here at St. Thomas's. I'm married to Beth and I'm a trainee vicar, uh, training in Durham and then placed with the team here in St. Thomas's. We're going to dig into a passage today from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And the verse we're looking at in depth is verse 18. However, to understand a bit of what's going on in there, we're going to read from verse 7. So if you've got a Bible, grab one or find um, the text online. We're reading 2 Corinthians 3 verses 7 through to the end. Now, If the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read." It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And our verse for today And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory or from glory into glory, some translations put it, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Fantastic. So we're a church uh, that is committed to following Jesus, to building community and to loving Newcastle. And we've just looked at the final part of that, loving Newcastle, in our previous sermon series on Jonah. And now we're looking at following Jesus. And we're spending six weeks, as Lee said, looking at the spiritual disciplines. And what we're going to see today is that these are ways that we contemplate God. They're things like praying and giving and fasting and reading the Bible. And as we practice these disciplines, we are transformed, which is what it's just said in verse 18. But before we look at these spiritual disciplines, we're going to take the first week just to clarify, to understand together the nature of this transformation. Because we live in a culture where we could so easily get confused. Everywhere we look, there is a pressure to transform ourselves. And if you don't believe me, I have just one word for you, and that is Instagram. 
If you spend any amount of time on Instagram, you will find personal blogs on how you should be transforming your finances in pursuit of freedom, or transforming your mood and mental health in pursuit of happiness, or transforming your body in pursuit of self-acceptance, or more lately, transforming your levels of self-acceptance in pursuit of peace. And ultimately, it all becomes too much. It's utterly unsustainable. And so we just collapse in front of Netflix, feeling guilty that we're not being more productive. Can I hear a generation say, amen? <laughs> because because <laughs> the room just said amen for anyone who can't hear that. Um, because this pressure of becoming who we're meant to be from our own resources is tiring. It's a heavy burden to bear. Now, because we live in this self-transformation-oriented society, it'd be so easy to think that faith in Jesus works in the same way. So when we're talking about praying or giving or fasting or reading the Bible, it would be easy to put it in the category of stuff we have to do to transform ourselves. What we're going to learn today from the Bible is radical and in some senses controversial because the scriptures teach something that is completely opposite to the rest of the world. The world says, take hold of your life and transform yourself. The Bible says, lay down your life and let God transform you. And that is what the spiritual disciplines are. They're ways that we lay down our life before God in order that he might transform us. So let's unpack verse 18 together. We're going to ask three um, big what if, uh, oh, not sorry, what if, but um, what on the earth does that mean questions of this verse? Firstly, we with unveiled faces. We're going to ask what on the earth is an unveiled face and why was it veiled in the first place? And we're told that we're being transformed, but what does that actually mean? And part of this transformation is from glory into glory, but what's that mean for us as we go to work or as we attend lectures, as we care for our family, as we Zoom our friends? These are the questions that we are asking this week. So unveiled faces then. The context of this passage is that Paul, the writer of this letter, is comparing his ministry, that is ministry after the life of Jesus, with Moses' ministry, that is ministry before the life of Jesus. The life, and importantly the death of Jesus, functions as a pivot point. It marks the change between the old age of relationship with God and the new age of relationship with God. The word that Paul is using throughout this passage is covenant. The old covenant, a word for promised relationship, and new covenant. And we see that our Bibles are divided into this today, right? We've got the, the Old Testament and the New Testament. So what has all this got to do with veils? Well, this passage is explaining, giving a little mini sermon on to the church in Corinth, Exodus 34. And what happens in Exodus 34 is that Moses, having led God's people out of slavery, he meets with God on a mountain. Now, even Moses, this person who has the, the deep and close relationship with God, he cannot see God's face. So God tells Moses to hide behind a rock and the glory of God will pass by. That's how he... And yet even this encounter leaves Moses' face physically glowing because of the glory of God that he's encountered. 
So much so that when he goes back down the mountain, the people of God are too afraid to look at Moses. And so he places a veil over his face. You could say that Moses was wearing a face covering before it was cool. And by cool, I mean mandated for public health reasons in this, uh, in this scenario. Um, anyway, this is a picture of the old covenant relationship with God. There was a veil between the people of God and God himself. They had a promised relationship with God, but because they constantly turned away, because they were constantly unfaithful to him, they could not bear to look upon his glory. And therefore a veil was set in place. And we see this elsewhere in the Old Testament as well. In the temple where the glory of God physically was located, there was a curtain to separate the people from the glory of God, from the presence of God. However, in verse 14 of this passage, we read this, that in Jesus, the veil is taken away. So how can this be? God hasn't changed. God never changes. He's still glorious and holy and perfect. And presumably people haven't changed. I certainly, uh, you know, look like these Israelites in the Old Testament. I'm still unfaithful to God. We're still not, um, we're not perfect like God is. So how then could this veil be taken away? Well, we're told in Matthew and Mark and Luke that when Jesus dies on the cross, the curtain in the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. In other words, the separation between God and people has been healed in the person of Jesus. Our faces are unveiled by the work of Jesus on the cross. We're invited into a personal relationship with God. At the start of the sermon, I said that the spiritual disciplines are ways that we lay down our lives before God in order that he might transform them. And, and that is true. But the laying down of our lives is an outworking of the fact that God first laid down his life for us on the cross. As it says in 1 John, we love because he first loved us. We lay down our lives because he first laid down his life for us. And this is a remarkable truth that so many of us take for granted, that we, of all people, at all times, in all places, that we have been given the most extraordinary gift of a relationship with God through Jesus. We no longer relate to God through a veil, because he has revealed himself fully to us in the person of Jesus. Of all times, in all places, you, brothers and sisters, and me today, we have had the veil removed from our hearts so that we can see and know Jesus. And before we go any further, let's just acknowledge that most profound, that most extraordinary truth. This is the starting point of faith that through Jesus we have a relationship with God. It's the most fundamental touchstone of all theology and theology never moves beyond there. It just expounds what that means for us, that we have a relationship with God through Jesus. The acknowledgement of this truth is the start of the contemplation of the glory of God. We all with unveiled faces 
contemplate the Lord's glory. It's the starting point right here. And the aim of the spiritual disciplines of praying, of giving, of fasting is that we do this, that we contemplate God's glory. That's what the spiritual disciplines are all about. And that's why we're starting the sermon series with this verse. And the result of this is inevitably transformation. Church, we can no more gaze on the glory of God and not be changed than we could dive into the sea of Tynemouth Pier and not get wet. Paul says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed. Now we've already talked about one aspect of self-transformation in our culture, and that is that you and I have to transform ourselves. But there is another model of transformation in our culture that is very prevalent, and that is home renovation shows on Netflix and BBC iPlayer. My wife, Beth, absolutely loves these, like the Great Interior Design Challenge or Your Home Made Perfect or Interior Design Masters, if you know, you know, you've endured them. I mean, enjoyed them. Um, (laughs) And uh, I was initially somewhat reluctant and um, now less reluctant, apparently. Uh, You you know the ones, they they always have the same format, essentially, uh, in that they, the the kind of the unveiling is like, Sandra's home was dull and beige and they've shot it on like the worst winter day and the room looks awful. And then they have shot it on a summer day with a gorgeous wide angle lens. And they're like, and now through a painted ceiling, the room is transformed. And you're like, is it just camera work? I don't know. Anyway, whatever the before and the after, the format is the same. Here, a person, or a whole team of people come into someone's home and transform it for them. They do all the work. Now, it's not a good, it's not a perfect analogy, but it's a good starting point. And I'll explain why it's not a perfect analogy in a minute. Because Paul says, when we contemplate the glory of God, we are being transformed. Let's think about two things to do with this phrase, being transformed. The first is the countercultural bit. It's not us transforming ourselves. Rather, the Holy Spirit, like a, a home renovation team, comes into our lives and begins to completely change them. Spiritual transformation is the work of God. And Paul stresses this in the final few words of this verse. He says, It comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Church, rather than constantly tiring ourselves out and feeling guilty when that transformation is at best partial or at worst unnoticeable, in Christ we're invited into a life of peace and wholeness. In Christ we're invited into a life of peace and wholeness. The world says take hold of your life and transform yourself. The Bible says, lay down your life and let God transform you. The reason it's not a perfect analogy and where it breaks down is this, that we are being transformed. On these shows, uh, the transformation happens once and then poor Sandra has to maintain her living room long term. She has to redecorate the walls and repaint the ceiling when it starts to not look so good. But not so with God's transformation. It's the Holy Spirit who transforms, but it's the Holy Spirit who continues to transform. It's a daily process, not a one-off event, which is part of the reason I absolutely love the song Day by Day. 
It's day by day, slowly move, it says. Transform my heart as I walk with you. This is not a one-off event. Our reconciliation to God was a one-off event, but the constant transformation is an ongoing process. Now, there is a possible error that we could make here. We could think, okay, it's, it's all the work of God, and so my response isn't important. Or maybe, a bit less extreme, I'm good simply to put in the minimal effort. I know I should pray, I know I should read my Bible, but I'll just, I'll sort that out later. Maybe you're not a Christian today and you, you hear this and you think, okay, there's no response required from me. Well, if this is you, hear this. The work of Jesus on the cross and the spirit at work in our hearts is so all-encompassing and radical that it demands a response from us. Now, pretty much all of us in the West in the 21st century make this same mistake that we think the, the bare minimum is required. I certainly see this pattern in my own life. But if we think that the bare minimum is all that is required, or indeed that no response is required at all, then we've missed the enormity of the gospel. We've missed the enormity of what it means that Jesus has made a way for us to be in relationship with God. When you're in relationship with God, your very being, your very identity changes and that is what Paul is getting at here when he says, from glory into glory. Our final point for today then. Some translators will translate this phrase with ever increasing glory. That's a perfectly good translation. Others will say from glory into glory. And we're going to go with that latter translation today um, because it's a more literal translation of the Greek text. And it captures a theme that is present throughout the letters of Paul, that we have already received what we are becoming. And therefore, we should act in a way that is in keeping with who we are, that we should live out the identity that we've been given. Think about it a bit like this. When you first arrive at uni accommodation on your first day of university, you have no idea who you'll be living with, or if you live in Castle Leasers, what the flight is actually going to be like. It's not a pleasant surprise. Um, but from day one, you and the people you're living with are flatmates. You don't know each other, but you're already flatmates. And so you spend the rest of the year getting to know these people. Some become your best friends for life. And yet on the final day of first year, you are no more nor no less flatmates than on the first day. You've become what you already were. Or think about moving to a new city. On the day that, um, that we moved to Newcastle, Beth and I, we were citizens of Newcastle. This was our city. These people were our people. This neighbourhood was our neighbourhood. We were citizens of Newcastle, even though we didn't really live like it yet. It took time for us to get to know um, which beach to go to, to go to walks in Northumberland, to get to know the perfect bakery for a Saturday morning uh, croissant and coffee, a pink lane or, um, or the one by the quayside, absolutely fantastic. Lee knows all of it. We, it took a while for us to become what we already were. We were already citizens of Newcastle and we have become citizens of Newcastle. The same is true in our relationship with Jesus. 
From day one, the moment that we turn from our old life and we're baptized into Christ, we are citizens of a new heavenly city. From day one, the, Paul, the word that Paul uses here, glory, is already true of us. Before we've done any praying, before we've done any giving, before we've done any fasting. To approach this radical faith as an invitation to minimal effort means we fail to understand who we truly are as disciples of Jesus. So to finish with today, I want to remind us who we are. Because it is this identity that we live out when we practice the spiritual disciplines. It's an identity that has already been given to us. We don't have to strive for it. We don't have to work for it. No matter how strong or how weak you feel your faith is today, this is already true of you. Because through the cross of Jesus Christ, you are glorious. As we go to work, as we chat with our friends, as we attend lectures, as we scroll on Instagram, as we care for the people we love, we are people that carry the weight of the glory of God. And that same glory that made Moses' face shine, we bear that glory each day, reflecting it to the world. Because of the actions of Jesus on the cross, you and I are glorious. You are loved by God. He delights in you. We are part of a priestly people bringing the, um, representing God to the world and bringing the world before God in prayer. The Bible puts it a bit like this later on. It says this, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. If you are a Christian today, no matter how distant you feel, no matter how terrible your year has been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you haven't done, no matter whether you pray every single day or whether you struggle to pray at all, this is who you are. This is who we are. And so this is why we're going to spend the next six weeks learning about the spiritual disciplines. It's not to earn God's love. We've already been given the fullness of his love in Jesus. It's simply to live out the identity we already have as sons and daughters, as a kingdom of priestly people, as citizens of a heavenly city. The spiritual disciplines are not just what we do. In many ways, they are who we are. People set aside for the contemplation of the glory of God. Amen. So that's a, that's a reflection on the passage. Let's understand some of what we're going to be doing in our practice this week. After each week, we've got some practices online hosted on our website. It launches tomorrow, this website, to help us reflect on what we talked about in the sermon, to put these things into action like Matthew was talking about. Um, you can find all of this at stthomas.church forward slash 
disciplines and that launches tomorrow. Our practice for this week is is really simple. Notice the word practice. It doesn't mean that we're perfect at it straight away. It just means that we are giving it a go. The practice is this, that we're going to contemplate God's word together, specifically verse 18 that we've just unpacked. So here's, here's how to do it. And I'd suggest doing this first thing. I always try to read my Bible before I read my, my phone because it, that helps me immensely in my discipleship to Jesus. Find a space and ask the Holy Spirit to come and to fill you, to guide you. And then read or recite this, this verse, verse 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. And just sit with these words and and ponder them. It's almost like having another person there with you. You, You're not necessarily... um, You're not necessarily trying to cognitively understand them. You're just allowing yourself to be absorbed into them and them into you, communing with God's word. And after a while, you might want to pray. You might want to specifically thank God for something. And then thank God for the time you've had together and and end. And go into the day shaped by this verse. We're going to talk a bit about this more in small groups. So I'd encourage you to give it a go uh, before small groups on, uh, on Tuesday night for most of us. Church, we are on a journey together over this Lent to live out our identity. We're a nation, we're a people who have been proclaimed by God as devoted to and reconciled. So let's learn to live like it. We're going to worship together now in response to this. And I've asked you could do the song, this song. If so, we would love you to sing along. You might not know this song. The invitation is just to simply sit and to listen, to let these words wash over you. They're going to be on screen. But now we pray, come Holy Spirit. Lord, would you teach us what we've been reading in the scriptures today? Lord, would you fill our homes? Would you fill this place where we are? Holy Spirit, thank you that you bind us as one, as a priestly people, as loved sons and daughters, as your family. We pray, come, Holy Spirit of God. Set our hearts on fire with love for you.